Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of How to Live, the podcast, where we have real, meaningful, and fun conversations with people who inspire us. And sometimes we just have them with each other. We are your hosts, Jess and Steph Dadon. It is an absolute pleasure to be in your ears today. Thank you for having us here. Thank you so much. Are you laughing at me because I was just like singing that whole intro? Yeah. And like, <laughs> I just like the way you put your own spin on it. You know, like usually we just keep it normal, but that one was like particularly fun. Mm, I'm feeling in a good mood. So guys, last week we had an update for you about how we were giving away 500 pairs of tubes to people who had lost their jobs as a result of COVID-19. Whoa, it was a week. It was a week. Wow. We had 500 slots and within 24 hours of opening that up, we had 500 people apply. In fact, I think we had about 518 apply. Absolutely overwhelmed with the response that we received. Obviously, reading people's stories as well was really, really emotional and heartfelt. And we're really excited that we're able to give back in this way, but we want to continue giving back. So we're looking at different ways we can help support people and just bring positivity and good vibes to people every damn day. Yep. And we love connecting with you guys. We've been connecting with everybody over in our Facebook group, How to Live the Podcast. It's been a really nice way to keep in touch with our community and to be sharing what we're doing at this time. We've also been sharing some really fun videos. Jess did a yoga class in there the other day, which Mm. was unbelievable. Yeah. So definitely join us because we would love to keep in touch. Yes. So today we've got a fabulous episode lined up for you. Last week we mentioned that we were trying to rejig the content to really apply to your life right now in isolation. And this is an episode that we've brainstorming for a little while, but we pulled it forward because we thought it is just so perfect and what everybody needs to hear right now. So you might remember we talked about back in Feb that the two of us did a meditation course. It was called a Vedic meditation course. And basically Vedic meditation is where you meditate with a mantra. So they give you a word, close your eyes for 20 minutes, and you just kind of say that mantra over and over again. And the two of us just loved this course that we did. And particularly, we loved the teacher who taught it. So today, we have that very teacher on this very podcast, and that is the incredible Laura Poole. She is an amazing meditation teacher. She's also a co-founder of One Giant Mind, which is a meditation app. And she's also founded Mahasoma, which is this collective of meditation teachers. They have really amazing community events. We often check into their weekly meditations online, and they do really cool stuff. And we know what you're thinking. If you are not a meditator, this episode is still for you. The amazing thing about Laura is she is just wisdom. She is light. Her energy is incredible. Oh, and honestly, if all you do today is sit and listen to her voice, that will be enough for you. It's just amazing. And her energy, it's contagious. It really is. You know, when people talk about, like when I read Eat, Pray, Love, people talk about like being in the presence of a guru, how it kind of lifts your energy. That is how I feel about being in Laura's energy. So I'm really excited for you guys to get that experience today. Stick around to the end of the episode to hear Laura confirm a theory that I have been hypothesizing for many, many months now on this here show. And in the meantime, have an unbelievable time listening to Laura Poole. Thank you. 
thank you so much for doing this. We're very excited. Yes, me too. Especially because like for us right now, with everything that's going on, like being able to tune in and hear you talk, I just feel like, ah, and then I hear you talk and I'm like, oh, okay. For me, the first few months of this year, we got home from a beautiful holiday mid-January and we hit the ground running and we flew to Sydney for an event. We came back to Melbourne for a sale and, you know, it's just go, go, go. Right now, I feel like the universe is, no, halt, putting its hand out to me and being like, stop. And yet... I've still found a way to be stressed and find a million things to, you know, for a moment I was like, perfect. I'm going to be at home. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to learn to play the piano again and just do things for me. And then it's like opportunity, you know, like what can I be doing? This habit, this behavior, let's call it like a behavior that drives our actions. It's coming from a deeper belief system. It's coming from these thoughts that we carry around, usually subconsciously that have been created through an experience that we've had and a conclusion that we've come to about ourselves and about life from that experience. For example, something that may have happened to us when we were very young, it could have been, you know, maybe at age one or two, and we didn't even realize that that experience had had such a deep impact on us, especially in those years pre-verbal, where it's more of a sense or a feeling. But then there are experiences that we've had or systems that we have learnt, that we've taken on board, that we considered to be normal, passed down to us by our parents and our teachers and our society, that are causing us to think about ourselves in a particular way. So to identify as a certain person, to then think about ourselves and the world in a particular way. Those thoughts then influence our behaviour. Our behaviour creates our action. And if you keep doing something again and again and again, it simply becomes normal and it becomes very easy to do that. And in order to change that behavior, we can work from the outside in. You know, you can look at waking up each day and going, all right, I'm going to meditate today or I'm going to do my yoga or I'm going to do my journaling or actually I'm going to wake up and do nothing. Today I'm going to do nothing. And by 9 a.m., you're doing something. (laughs) Why? Because changing habits from the outside in, you haven't actually done the work to shift and change the root cause of the flow-on effect that actually is the igniter of that behavior. So we haven't actually gone a little bit deeper to shift and change that thought that feeling and that experience and that identity that lives subconsciously within ourselves that's actually fueling the behavior that's emerging. So when we go a little deeper, you know, asking why is it that I can't just relax and enjoy life right now? Why does it feel like I have to do these 101 things? You've got to ask yourself, okay, well, where is this coming from? And usually if you ask, well, if I don't do that thing, what's going to happen? How do I feel if I sit and actually do nothing today? How do I feel? I feel like when I really think about it, I need to be productive because I need to show the world that I can do things. Yeah. And if the world doesn't see that you can do things, what does that mean? Then I feel like a failure. I feel incomplete. I feel like I'm not good enough. So I'm not good enough is one of these root, I call them the seeds of misperception. Because I'm not good enough, you've learnt that. You've somehow learnt that you're not good enough. You weren't born with the thought, I'm not good enough. No baby comes out and goes, oh, 
don't think I'm going to be good enough to be able to do this thing. (laughs) It comes out with a wide-eyed curiosity around what life is all about. And yes, it does carry some history with it. You know, from the Vedic perspective, there is history or karma. You may have heard the word karma before. There is a history that it carries with it through body lives that will eventually end up fruiting in this life. But when we're born, we don't necessarily have the thought, I'm not good enough. So where did we learn this? When did this thought start coming about? And we go a little deeper into it. We'll probably find that there was, there was some experience that took place that we came to a faulty conclusion about ourselves. And I call it a faulty conclusion because actually you are good enough. You are beautiful. You are lovable. You know, you are creative potential. You have the ability to share yourself in every moment, to connect deeply, to serve and interact and share. So I'm not good enough is a faulty conclusion that you've come to. And it is fueling this behavior of the addiction to doing in order to prove to yourself, because this is the only person you're actually proving it to, to prove to yourself that you are worthy, to prove to yourself that you are good enough. I already think you're good enough. I already think you're worthy. You don't need to prove anything to me. And (laughs) I know you, but there are other people out there who may not know you and still think that you're good enough, still think that you're worthy. So who is it that you're actually proving this to? Yeah, I always find that a really funny thing to think about when I start thinking about people's perception of me. And then I always end up coming to that same realization in that, well, I'm just not that important to people. I am my most important to myself. Like you said, I need to prove it to myself. But in reality, what I think people are perceiving me as, well, they're probably not perceiving me as very much because I'm just not that important to them. People are probably thinking more about themselves than they're thinking about you. Exactly. We really put so much attention on it. And it's like, everyone is so concerned with what's going on in their own world and having these thoughts of, I'm not good enough. I'm unworthy. I'm unlovable. I'll never be able to do this. And it's all consuming. They don't really have the time to think about whether you are unworthy or you are not lovable. <laughs> like, that's just way too much to take on board. So coming back to this, I think this is a really beautiful process to go through because if we recognize that our addiction to doing and our inability to just relax, enjoy, and go with the flow, is coming from this deeper identity that I'm not good enough, you've got to ask yourself the question, is that true? And maybe that, maybe there's a part of you that actually does believe it. I'm not saying you're going to come to this point and kind of go, hmm, no, it's not. I am pure love. Fantastic. Done. You know, there, there may be a part of you that believes that. So you've got to keep asking yourself the question, like, is that true? And then there I feel like there's a difference between thinking it and feeling it. And I know that's in my experience, definitely something where like, I can think I am amazing. And when I'm full clarity, I'm like, wow, I am myself. How could there be anything better than that? But then there's a difference between thinking that and feeling it. And how do you find that shift? And I guess it feels like it's on a deeper level. Beautiful. We've got to go a little deeper here because correcting the intellect, which is like the way I think about myself in, I've got to go, actually, I am worthy. I know that I am good enough, whether I do that thing or don't do that thing. So I know that on this intellectual, 
conscious level, but now we have to drop into the subconscious because there's a whole part of ourselves that we're not that aware of. It's there and it is influencing us and we do tap into it. So this is why I said we're not that aware of it, but we're still aware, it's still influencing. And we need to go through a process of actually understanding who we are at our essential nature. And this is where meditation comes into it. It's about having a direct experience of what we are at that baseline nature. So what actually are you? We have this who we are. It's our identity. It's the fact that my name is Laura. I live in Victoria. This is my history. This is what I like. This is possibly what I don't like. We have this kind of who aspect that we could refer to as our individuality. And what meditation does and the purpose of meditation is actually to introduce you to the deeper what you are that is the source of the who you are. So all of us at our essential nature are this oceanic field of energy, this oceanic field of being. And this oceanic field moves into our different body forms, our different individualities. And we get, you know, Steph, Jess, Laura, and the millions, billions, quadrillions of beings that exist here in this universe. And when you start meditating, as you guys have experienced, using a transcending technique that helps you to transcend or go beyond that surface layer identity of yourself as just your name, where you've lived, what you're going to do, your job, all those identities that we have. When we meditate, we find that there's actually a deeper experience that can be had. And when we settle down the wave of our individuality and we begin melting back into the ocean of our nature, we actually begin to experience in meditation a deep calmness, a deep quietness, a greater peace, a greater sense that everything is actually okay. There is nothing that I need to be doing right now. When I start experiencing this, and it has to be a direct experience, I can't just intellectually know. I can't just on that surface layer know that I'm worthy. I have to feel it on every single layer of myself. And when you start directly experiencing that oceanic self, what you begin to find is an identity that actually expresses the truth, a deeper, deeper truth. And that is that you are already worthy. You are already lovable. You have creative potential. You are here to share. There's no need to worry. These are the thoughts that emerge from the direct experience of you as that oceanic state. It's something that spontaneously emerges. Just how the thoughts that come or spontaneously emerge from this misperception that I'm not worthy and all the thoughts that emerge from that, when I have the true perception of what I am, there are all the thoughts that naturally emerge from that state. And those thoughts then influence our behavior, which influences our actions, which then creates our reality. So if we're going to talk about shifting and changing, as you're saying, Jess, on that really deep level, we have to have an experiential practice that drops us into our deepest nature, what we can call a state of being rather than a state of doing. And we need to make contact with that deepest nature of ourself every day. So we actually begin to identify with ourselves as that. 
rather than identifying solely as these little individual beings having to run around and get everything done to prove to myself that I'm good enough. It sounds so nice when you talk about it. I'm like, oh my God, I need to go meditate right now. (laughs) Totally. And I feel like it is a really good shift into meditation when I'm kind of looking about what we wanted to talk to you about. I think we've covered like one out of about 11 questions, but we knew it would take lots of twists and turns and I love it. But coming back to meditation, which is how we connected with you in the first place because we came and did a wonderful meditation course with you. What brought you, Laura, to meditation? In my life, looking back now, I can see it all with such a different perspective that I see that everything was actually perfect. (laughs) Everything was always going to play out this way. But when you're in the middle of it, like I was kind of from about age 16 or 17 and starting to experience physical health conditions coming from what I now know to be an overactive nervous system that was constantly in a state of fight or flight. Basically, I was stressed on such a deep level that my whole body started to shut down. And it started with a nervousness and an anxiety in ways never diagnosed through you know, a medical professional, but an anxiety that then would move into deep fatigue because just so much energy was being used to stay alert on what is actually happening just in case something's about to kill me. This is the fight or flight response that comes on. All the systems in my body that are there to keep me healthy began to systematically shut down, starting with my digestive system. Just wasn't digesting food properly, started to have all these allergies, but no one could actually tell me what was wrong. And no 18 or 19-year-old should have had that much stress in their body, especially because I lived a very privileged life, always had a roof over my head, always had three meals on the table, went to a great school, you know, had beautiful friends. Like, where is this coming from? And so I started off my journey at the doctors, getting medication for my digestive issues, which didn't really end up doing much. Then I came into contact with a chiropractor who is also a kinesiologist and does NET, neuro-emotional technique, an amazing technique. And I started working with him for about two years. And he made me aware of the fact that this condition that I was experiencing was actually coming from a deeper mental state and that my body, my adrenals were pretty much just wrecked and I needed to be doing something personally each day to help my nervous system recover from this habit. (laughs) We could just call it a habit of being stressed. And I had no idea what meditation was. I had maybe done a few yoga classes and this is when I was 20. And I went to an intro talk and I thought it sounded absolutely amazing. I didn't have the money to do it. I was like a poor uni student in like third year of uni. And um, long story short, I actually ended up winning the money to learn to meditate through a um, competition at my uni. And I said, if I win this, I'm learning to meditate. And six months later, I won it. And it was the exact amount of money of what the course cost. And I booked in right away. And I learned to meditate. And I did it every day, twice a day from when I first started because I didn't have a choice. If I wanted to get out of the experience that I was having, 
and I had tried everything else. Kinesiology, Cairo, naturopath, Chinese medicine. Like I had literally done everything possible from the outside in and what was missing was the work from the inside out. And so when I found this, I knew that it would be a commitment, but hey, what else was I going to do? So I, I dived into it and the knowledge and the wisdom that came along with the practice of Vedic meditation, it inspired me to keep on going even when things got tough. <laughs> it actually makes me emotional hearing your story because it reminds me of my life right now. And for me, I've had my stomach shut down, my body shut down, and you know, I've had a really tough time over the last few years. And I think it's something that so many people relate to. And I know when you brought it up in the meditation class that we were doing with you as well, a lot of people got emotional about this because food allergies and unexplainable things and you go to the doctor and you're told there's nothing wrong with you. I've been to every naturopath Chinese doctor that I can find and nobody's actually able to come up with something that works for me and I get worse rather than getting better. So hearing you talk about that, it makes so much sense to me and I feel like this is a bit of a refresher course in what meditation can give you and I feel like that's the perfect segue into asking you some questions around meditation because you hear you talk about it and it's like, great, yeah, I'm going to do this every day and then, you know, I've gone off for the last month or two and I've been meditating every day but then it annoys me still. It, it pisses me off when I'm doing it and, you know, like I feel like I can't get settled and I just, the sound of the mantra annoys me but I brought up with you <laughs> and you were like, it's not the mantra, it's just kind of reflecting back to you what's coming up but I noticed that, I'm becoming more reactive outside of the meditation because of the meditation, I think, because I get frustrated during it. So outside of it, I find myself being short and I don't like that about myself. And I feel like if I just play nice calming music and put candles on, then I feel calm. But I know that that is a band-aid and that this is really showing me what's really going on with myself, but it's hard to face it. And how much meditating do I have to do before I'm going to see these beautiful results? <laughs> oh, the question I get asked all the time. So how long? How long do I have to do this thing for? So let's go back a step here because I would just love to explain something really quickly around the science of stress and how we actually got to this point of what you're experiencing, what I was experiencing when I was 20, and what I see a lot of people experiencing throughout their life, whether it's digestive issues, immune conditions, hormonal imbalances. And it comes down to this activation of the fight or flight response. And just a quick little summary of it, our nervous system has two main operating functions. We have the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system. Our parasympathetic nervous system is our resting and digesting function. It's our natural state in our body when we're feeling calm, settled, and we are connected to that state of being. We're connected to that oceanic nature of what we are. When we're experiencing that within our consciousness, our body responds and it stays in this parasympathetic, calm, aware, open, kind, loving, compassionate state. Now, when your perception, your awareness, your mind sees in the environment something that could be a threat to yourself, and that threat can be physical, 
you know, a threat to your survival, physical survival, but it could also be a threat to your psychological sense of self. And this is a fascinating one. When we perceive our environment to be hostile in some way, that it's going to be a threat to my survival, our nervous system, through that perception in our mind, our nervous system immediately shifts to the sympathetic state, which we refer to as the fight or flight response. Now, when your body shifts into fight or flight, it's actually a protective mechanism. You have told your body through your awareness, through the perception that you're having, that what I'm experiencing right now is not safe. This experience that I'm having, I have to protect myself. And this is why we call it a survival response. But the survival response is actually a short-term survival response. There is some immediate threat that I have to stay highly alert for just in case this thing kills me. And so when our mind perceives that and our body immediately shifts into this protection mode, there's a whole lot of shifts and changes that take place. And the main ones that cause the greatest effect are those systems in our body that are there for long-term survival, which are prefrontal cortex of our brain, our digestive system, our immune system, our cellular repair function, our reproductive system. All those systems are there to feed and nourish us, to help us understand on a deeper level in order to fight off bacteria and viruses, in order to repair the cells of our body, in order for us to actually pass down our DNA to the next generation. This is the reproductive system. All those systems are there for long-term survival. And they're what help us thrive in the world and continue our existence of human beings on this planet Earth. When we switch into the opposite, into fight or flight, what actually happens is that very intelligent part of our system is that it begins to systematically suppress the functioning of these long-term survival systems, which actually require a lot of energy to operate. And I used this example in the course, when you've had a really big meal, when you're sick, when you're a baby, what's a common theme between them all? You usually sleep a lot. You get tired. When you're sick, you're tired and you sleep a lot. Why? Because it requires a lot of energy to operate the immune system. When you've had a big meal, you usually want to have a little nap afterwards for an hour or so. Why? Because it requires a lot of energy to digest food. And the same when you're repairing the cells in your body and the same when you're building a whole nervous system inside your nervous system, like when you're pregnant. So these systems for long-term survival require a lot of energy to operate. Now, interestingly enough, short-term survival also requires a lot of energy to operate. So when you shift into that stress response because you've perceived that your environment is hostile in some way, what your body actually does is for the time being that you consider this experience to be a threat, your body suppresses the operating of those long-term survival systems and shifts it into running the short-term survival systems. So basically what ends up happening, digestive system gets suppressed, immune system functioning gets suppressed, cellular repair functioning gets suppressed, creative dynamic prefrontal cortex of the brain functioning gets suppressed, reproductive system gets suppressed. And what are we seeing in our world today? We're seeing digestive issues, autoimmune conditions, infertility, reactionary responses to very small triggers. 
And this is all coming from the fact that your nervous system is actually operating in a fight or flight state, not in the resting and digesting state. Why? Through that perception, conscious or subconscious, another interesting fact here, conscious or subconscious, your body is printing it out and responding. And a lot of us are actually living in 24-7 fight or flight. And this is why we can't work out, well, what am I allergic to? Or why is my digestion not working? I have a good job. I have a partner. I feel like everything should be good. But on some deeper level, there is an identity, a belief system, a thought pattern that is telling you the complete opposite. And it is keeping you in that fight or flight state. And it is then going to continue printing out the same responses. And this is what I had to learn. I had to learn that this experience was actually being created by myself and not in the sense that I should feel guilty for it in any way. It was more just like a a taking responsibility and going, well, if I've created this for myself and I can actually change what it is I've created as well, but that takes a lot of work. And so you asked me, (laughs) how long is it going to take till I feel the bliss? Well, it depends how long we've been ignoring what's needed. It's probably the simple answer to it. And when we start meditating, what we're actually doing is finally giving ourselves the time to rest, process, and digest the stress that we've accumulated. The fatigue debt that I talk about, talked about earlier, we've got that. And we've also got the stress debt. Because when we get tired, we get stressed. So when we don't listen to our bodies that are telling us, please rest, I really need some rest right now. Yeah, I'm just listening to you talk and I'm like, oh, so years. It's going to be years of this. (laughs) Yes, it's going to take years. But I'm not saying you're going to sit there and have a really crappy meditation every single time for the next five, 10 years. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that, yes, this is a long-term practice. Meditation is not something you just do for like a week or a month or even a year. It's a way of living. It's a way of being. And as you begin that process, and you guys only just started this, and at the beginning, if we've got a bit of a fatigue debt and we've got a bit of a stress debt, when you sit down and you allow your whole entire nervous system to shift out of that normalized or habitualized fight or flight state, And when you start shifting into the parasympathetic state that allows you to rest, process, digest, and tap into that deeper state of being, what you're going to find is that your body's going to begin resting, but then also processing and digesting or working through the stress debt and the fatigue debt. And that's when you're sitting in meditation and it kind of feels very agitating, very irritating. You don't like your mantra. You hate the thoughts that are coming. I can't get comfortable. I keep checking the clock. When the fuck is this thing going to be over? (laughs) Those meditations, they're actually so beneficial. And it's you doing the dirty laundry. It's you laundering this accumulated stress debt that you have. And the only way to find that calmness and that presence that comes from the inside out, not from the outside in. What about when? All of a sudden, you don't have a job, your partner's just left you, you're stuck in your house for however long, and you have no idea what's going to take place. When we haven't established that within ourselves, we find that when life changes, it becomes very rocky inside, very unstable inside. And so in order to find that inner stability, that inner groundedness, and that peace 
that is unconditional. We talk about unconditional love, but what about unconditional stability? An unconditional knowingness that everything's okay. Unconditional peace, unconditional bliss. We, we want all of this. And to be able to access that, you got to get rid of the stress because it's there. It's already there. It's just buried beneath the years of ignoring. So when we go through our meditation and you're sitting down and you're having, how would you describe the meditation that you're having? <laughs> Annoying. <laughs> Annoying, almost dark. Like my boyfriend said to me a couple of times, what is this meditation that you've learned? Like it seems really dark <laughs> and I feel that in it. I'm like, maybe meditation's just not for me, you know? No, meditation's definitely for everyone. What's happening here though is you are finally taking the time to pause, turn inwards and take a look at what's actually going on. And I said this to you, meditation doesn't actually cause anything to happen. Meditation simply reveals to you what was always there. And that can be really confronting. Mm. So when you're noticing outside of meditation, you're kind of becoming a bit more reactive or you're noticing that you're feeling unsettled. This is actually you continuing this processing and opening up to greater sensitivity, greater subtlety, and you're beginning to actually realize how sensitive we are as human beings and that everything is influencing us. And only through that deeper sensing do we then actually begin to be able to make the decision around what we actually need. It just takes a bit of getting used to this process of letting go. And this is all that's happening. You're actually just letting go. That agitation that you felt, for months, however long ago, now you're just processing it all. And now you're just agitated, but not at anything that's happening right now, Mm. but it is happening in the present moment. It's just happening in the present moment from the memory that is still stored in the cells of your body that you are now going through a process of releasing. When I hear you talk about that it could be years at first, I'm like, oh, that's terrible. Like years, who's got years? But then I started to think about what you were talking about in terms of a career. We've all just accepted that a career is going to span a lot of years and you're doing things now that are kind of getting you in a good place for the future. And you're happy to do the crappy jobs, you know, when you're younger, when you're first starting out, because you're trying to build that up and you know, it's going to pay off later. And it's so funny that like, when you talk about it in a career sense, we're like, well, of course that makes total sense. You do that. And why then when we're talking about it for our personal well-being and our mental health, should it not make just as much sense? It does. When you put it that way, it makes perfect sense. Beautiful analogy. And you're preparing yourself to have a life that is free, unbounded, and full of unconditional love. And will it happen? Yes, it definitely will. Is it going to happen next year? Maybe. I don't know. Everyone's on their own journey with it. Every single day we're changing. In which direction do you want to move in? And what can we do each day to allow that? And just because you start meditating doesn't mean you're going to become the bliss-filled Mother Teresa Gandhi walking around giving everyone blessings. That takes years to cultivate. And we've got to get out of this idea, this Western generational idea of instantaneous results from our actions. It's a long-term process. I've been doing this for over 11 years now. And I love it, obviously. I ended up teaching it at some point. But you have to fall in love with your practice. And to fall in love with your practice actually means to fall in love with yourself. You have to deem yourself worthy of this. You have to know that 
there is a state that you can be experiencing that is going to allow you to see life through a whole new perspective. And you've got to give yourself the time to cultivate that. You can't just learn this thing overnight. You didn't learn how to walk overnight. You didn't learn the English language overnight. And you're not going to learn the language of the self by meditating once a week for a year. You've got to learn this new language, this way of being, this way of living. And if you can fall in love with that process, you will ultimately fall in love with yourself and you'll fall in love with life. But you've got to give it some time. <laughs> so if someone does want to start their journey, I often speak to my friends and they're like, oh, yeah, I really want to try to start meditating, but like, I don't even know how and I don't even know where I would look. What's the first step? How do you feel about the apps? We also know you founded One Giant Mind, co-founded. Is that a good place to start, a good little dip in your toe? Yeah, it, it really depends. So I personally started off with a teacher. Back then, there weren't meditation apps, so there actually wasn't the ability to do it any other way. I think apps are really great because it makes meditation accessible wherever you are right now. However, I have found with apps that they can only take you so far and they don't always have the best retention rate either. You know, it's super accessible. I can pick it up, but I can also put it down. Yes, I've been doing that for years. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that 10-day One Giant Mind course, like the introductory yeah. course, more times than I can count. <laughs> yeah, I've done it now. Okay, great. What's next? So I think technology has a beautiful role to play in making these practices accessible. But for a long-term practice, I always suggest having a real-life teacher and finding someone that is in your area or close by so that you can become part of a real-life community. So you can actually not only learn to meditate, but continue to deepen and advance your practice, hang out with like-minded people and begin to see that, oh, there's another way of doing this thing called life. I don't have to just keep doing the same old, same old, or what other people are telling me is the only way to be. And we can inspire each other and the power of community to inspire, but to hold each other accountable and to show what's possible. And this is why I do what I do. I do a lot of in-person work, which is why right now there is currently nothing coming in as we are all having to be a certain distance away. And I'm doing some online stuff, but I see how important it is to be in contact with each other in person. There's something so different that takes place, which I'm sure you guys are aware of having done the course in person, being able to ask questions, being able to see the dynamics in the room. So where should people start? If you want to really get into a practice and learn something that you're going to become intimately familiar with and absolutely love and enjoy, find a teacher and find a practice that you love. Ask friends who have a practice that they love. And if you're kind of into what they're into, then go, great, what do you do? Go test it out, see what it's like. But you have to also commit to it. You can't just do it for like two or three months and go, oh, it was kind of annoying and I actually just got really irritated and I tried this meditation thing and I don't think it's for me. <laughs> <laughs> Which was almost me. <laughs> but this is why I'm here as a teacher. I'm here for all of my students. And I always say, you've got anything, any questions, you've started to drop your meditation practice, you get in contact with me immediately because usually it's just a misperception of what people think meditation is. 
that causes them to think that they're doing it wrong or it's not working and therefore they drop their practice. When really what you're going through right now is your awakening and it just looks a little different to what the Instagrammed version of spiritual awakening is. Okay, I'm awakening. I can keep going. This has definitely got me back on track. You are awakening. And what are you awakening to? Everything you've been ignoring. You're awakening to the condition of your nervous system, which is going to require so much compassion for yourself, so much self-love to go, wow, look at what has taken place here. Okay, what do I need right now? And maybe I need to just slow down for a little bit. And if I think that slowing down means that I'm going to fail as a human being and everyone's going to think that I'm not good enough. This is when you've got to start doing that deeper work. And this is why I run group meditations every week, these wisdom sessions to really help people through these transitional phases in their awakening. So this is you starting to tap into your creative evolution. You don't want to go through life continuing to ignore what's needed, which then kind of creates this build-up effect inside where at some point you're going to have to change. You can't sustain that which is unsustainable. Being constantly stressed is not sustainable. Constant state of fight or flight in short-term survival mode is not sustainable, says it in its name. Short-term survival, not long-term survival. Short-term survival mode is not sustainable. And at some point, you have to make a change. And usually if we've been ignoring a lot, which we all do, and ignoring is not a bad thing, by the way, it's part of our survival mode. But when we become aware of that, what we usually find when we begin to let go is that there can be a lot of destructive change that takes place. And that destruction is actually removing the status quo in order to create space for something new that you're creating for yourself. I would actually say that right now, the collective consciousness is awakening to the unsustainable way that we have been living individually and collectively. And we are seeing the effect of that. And we're currently going through a destructive evolutionary phase, which is going to reveal to us if we can take this time and this opportunity to turn inwards, to pause to reflect on the way that we bring ourselves to the world, we may start to sense what's actually needed. And we can creatively engage in shifting this process rather than continuing to ignore, be afraid of change, control, resist. So that's one way of looking at what's going on here. Perfect place to kind of round it all out. I know. I feel like we went (laughs) just like this perfect circle and ended up right where we began. So we do finish all of our interviews off with some quick fires. So we might just quickly fire them at you. What does your ideal Sunday look like? Sunday's my favorite day, actually. And it always has been my favorite day. Now that we're here on our property on the coast, Sundays are for long meditations in the morning, homemade breakfast and tea, and then being outside on the land and working on our food forest and just enjoying. Oh, it sounds delightful. Sounds so great. Do you have a favorite book that you like to recommend people? I do have a favorite book. Can I give two here? You sure can. Because one's my favorite Vedic book, which is not going to be possibly everyone's cup of tea but it's known as the Mahabharata, which the Bhagavad Gita 
is one chapter in it. So if you guys have studied yoga, you probably would have studied the Bhagavad Gita. Best storybook that's ever been written in all of time. The translation by Ramesh Menon is incredible, but there are a lot of Sanskrit words, names, and stories within it. But if you can get through that, it's what like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and Harry Potter, and all that drew their inspiration from. I always say this. I've just been watching Star Wars lately for the first time. I'm I've gotten through eight out of the nine movies and I keep saying to Jessica, I swear they've like taken inspiration (laughs) from all of this spiritual stuff with the dark side and I think I talked about it on the podcast. Yeah, I think you did like last week or two weeks ago. I'd love to know that. Lucas, he was a meditator. Yes. (laughs) The practice you're doing right now, he did this. Oh my God. My boyfriend's going to love this. I'm so excited to tell him. (laughs) That's why I love Star Wars. I'm like, it's so Vedic. It's like the whole... Yes. So anyway, that's an amazing book. And then The Global Heart Awakens by Anna Dea Judith. It's about humanity's transition into this new collective consciousness that is established in the heart and is going to be about co-creation between masculine and feminine. It's really good. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Laura. This was so fantastic. And people need to hear this right now. Beautiful. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And if anyone wants to find out more about meditation, just get in contact with us. We have a meditation collective called Mahasoma that is based in Melbourne, but we also have colleagues all around the world. So wherever you're listening to this from, just get in touch and we can help you start or re-inspire your meditation career. (laughs) Amazing. We'll include links to all of your stuff in the show notes as well. So people can check out more stuff. Beautiful. And we actually have just started a podcast as well. So if you're kind of interested in more of this, it's called the Mahasoma podcast. So as you can probably tell, I can talk for hours and hours and hours. (laughs) (laughs) It's what makes you such an amazing podcast guest, really. Like this was, you did all the work. (laughs) We'll have to come back for like episode two. Honestly, well, yeah, because we I think that's a record. We've gotten through maybe a quarter sometimes of our questions, but I don't even know if we asked anything. Yeah, it was amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> wow, I am just so excited that we got to share Laura with you. I feel like listening to her has been this little amazing thing that we discovered in February and now being able to share it with our community is actually really special. It was also just incredible to connect with her and have her with us for an hour and chat about our own practices. And it definitely reinvigorated my passion for my meditation, which is awesome. So if you did like this episode, we would just love for you to help us get the word out about Laura and the incredible work that she is doing. I feel like a lot of people could do with hearing this amazing wisdom from Laura right now. So you can do that in a few ways. You can leave five stars or a review in your podcast app. You can share a picture of you listening on Instagram. Make sure you tag us at How To Live and make sure you join us on How To Live, the podcast on Facebook so that we can continue to connect with you. We would love to hear from you guys what you would love to hear on the podcast. As we mentioned last week, we do have a bank of episodes that we know will inspire and amaze you. But at the same time, we want to make sure we're bringing you content that is really relevant to your lives right now. So we're rejigging things, we're adding a few new episodes in, but we would love to hear from you guys 
What do you want to learn about? What do you want to implement into your lives? And how can we help you? And can we even chat just between each other about something specific? Let us know. Please DM us on Instagram at how to live or write to us through the Facebook group. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. We're going to go do a little meditation right now. And we hope you are too. So we will see you next week. Bye. Na 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 na